0: Well, good morning everyone, it's great to be with you. I want to start today with an update on our Debenhams bid. As you know, we bid on the Debenhams building with a developer in the city. And now, sad to say that our bid has not been successful, so the, the bid has gone to another developer. And humanly speaking, I suppose that's not surprising, but of course it is disappointing. And, uh, and whilst we may be disappointed, we're not disheartened because a door shut is as much God's leading as a door that swings wide open and so we'll continue to pray that God will open a door for us to have a place, a building, a home for us as a church, somewhere where we can work out of in the future and what we do have actually is a great relationship with this developer which we didn't have before and our team of business leaders who've been working on this for years now have done a magnificent job of both preparing this bid, but also developing those relationships. And so we trust God that he will lead us on. So yes, it's disappointing, but please do keep praying and keep seeking God that he would open a door for us to have a building in the city. Okay, so today we're going to continue uh, talking uh, about uh, leadership uh, from 1 Corinthians. Now the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians is really all about an uh, attitude towards leaders, and the issue really that Paul's addressing in these first four chapters, and he takes four chapters to do it, is that the the church in Corinth are getting very excited about sort of celebrity leaders in the church, and they are kind of playing one off against another, and they're forming little groups within the church, factions or sects, you might say, within the church, uh, which says, I like it when this person speaks, or I like it when this one does. and. What Paul is really saying is, look, when you do that, you are distracting from Jesus and from the gospel itself and from the benefits of the gospel. What the gospel does is it unites us, draws us together. And in celebrating these separate leaders and their different styles, you are denying the gospel itself. And he's very serious about this. As I say, he takes four chapters to do it. Um, And so we're gonna take a little bit of time to look at that. And today I want us to look at um, humility, and then some encouragement uh, with that as our sort of understanding of of the passage. So I'm gonna read uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 26 to 31, and then we'll look at humility and encouragement from these verses. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it helps us and instructs us. It it lights our path. It leads us on. And we pray as we look at these words today, that you would do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lead us on, strengthen us, make us more like you. Let your kingdom come as we gather to your word, we pray. Amen. There's a cult classic film called Anchorman that some of you might have watched, and this is a film about a, a TV news anchor who's very full of himself, very sure of his abilities and his celebrity status. And in the opening scenes of the film, he's introducing himself to his, what becomes his future partner, and he's trying to impress her. And he's quite surprised that she doesn't already know who he is. And so trying to maintain some kind of celebrity facade, he utters the line, I'm kind of a big deal. And that becomes the kind of watchword for the whole film. It is, of course, a film that is satire, a reflection on the ridiculousness of celebrity and the inevitable outcomes of pride and arrogance. Uh, yet the point of satire when used properly is it uncovers the hidden traits in the hearer or the reader. So in the case of this film, uh, you're laughing at the joke and yet secretly you're hoping no one notices that I too am a little bit obsessed with my own importance or at least the danger is that I could be. Now, if we only ever celebrate celebrity Christians, for instance, who are kind of a big deal, we come across all kinds of problems, all sorts of issues, of course. Um, And it is is an issue for us in our day. We live in a culture widely which celebrates ludicrously celebrity, people who are just famous for being famous. (laughs) Now, sometimes they do have a particular gifting or a skill which attracts us to them, but then they work and... Uh, kind of uh, emphasize, overemphasize those things to the point of uh, of expanded notoriety and celebrity. That's there's no place for that in the Christian world, in God's kingdom. It really isn't appropriate. But as I said, if we do just celebrate Christians who are kind of a big deal, then a number of issues arise for us, too. You see, if you have to be kind of a big deal. <laughs> in God's kingdom in in terms of your gifting or your uh, or, or, or your experience or whatever else it might be, if you have to be a kind of a big deal to, to have a part to play, then of course anyone else who might want to participate, they, they must feel, well, I'm, I, maybe I have to be kind of a big deal and I'm just not. So I can't take part. How can I have any part to play if the only people who get any kind of Uh, uh, advancement in God's kingdom are the celebrities. It would be an impossible job uh, for anyone to be part of that. And Paul has made this point. He said, if you just champion extraordinarily gifted um, leaders, actually, it comes at the expense, as I've said, of the gospel itself. Jesus, the great leveler, the gospel, a gospel which requires us to come on our knees to the cross. And actually, if I come saying, look, I've got a lot to offer, you know, I think I think actually you probably need me. Uh, God probably requires me to be part of this. Then, you know, I've come on the wrong basis even from the start. Actually, how would you know? Uh, you know, a, a leader who really is a godly leader. Well, I think one of the things might be like this: when you come away from interactions with them, or maybe if you hear them speak, you would come away thinking, "What a great God we serve." and not what a great leader or speaker they are, because they would point always to Jesus. They would celebrate the gospel. They'd be so excited about what God has done, about the grace gift of Jesus, that that would overtake any kind of of public gift that they might have. And that's what you would go away thinking, not what a wonderful leader. Why is this important? Well, it's important because pride and all the outcomes of pride is a very great sin. Maybe the first, maybe the greatest of them all. It was pride that led Adam and Eve, you see, to mistrust God's good instruction. Uh, We think we know better than you, God. We think that your instructions are just restrictive and oppressive. Uh, We'll do things our way, thank you very much. Uh, We'll eat whatever we like uh, we want to be like God. And so it was pride that caused that downfall right at the beginning. And pride actually is anti-God. It's against God. So when we, uh, when we get caught up with ourselves, with our own abilities, or maybe the abilities of others to an extent that begins to put the gospel itself in their shadow, we are in real danger. And We need to watch out for it in ourselves and in the church generally. Pride separates us one from another. It pitches us one against another. It deceives our hearts into believing elevated nonsense about our own abilities and our competencies. It makes me think, I don't need you, but you very much need me. That's what pride does, among other things. Pride sets up hierarchies and then fights to be at the top, making sure that everyone else knows um, where they belong. It's deceptive. and. Of course, that's what pride is. But we read in the Bible, God is humble. God is humble. That sounds strange. Just, just let that sink in for a minute or two. God, the Maker of everything, is humble. And we might say, really, God is humble, really. Well, let's read this from Matthew 11. This is Jesus speaking. These are these are beautiful, comforting words from Matthew's gospel that came from the mouth of Jesus himself, God himself speaking, says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is drawing you in to a relationship with him. He's saying, I'm humble, I'm open. I'm not pushing you away, I'm being honest with you. I'm not, I don't want a relationship with you for my benefit. I want you to come and find peace. I want you to find rest for your soul, soul rest. What an offer, what an offer. And in the midst of it, he's saying, the reason that you can get near to me, that you can come close, be in my family is this, I'm humble, I'm not trying to project something when we project a facade we push people away behind that facade and Jesus is saying no that's not what God is like I am humble and gentle you can come right close to me we just need to absorb that for a minute God is humble like so much of the gospel it's totally unexpected It's unexpected, but it is how God intends us to function. You see, humility is a requirement just to approach God in the first place. What do I bring when I come to God for the first time, and in fact, every time? Well, nothing, but also an acknowledgement that I have nothing to bring. I come with nothing to offer, but knowing I have nothing to offer is so important. We come on our knees to the cross We can bow before him, realizing, I've got nothing to commend myself to God. I've got no no attributes that might impress him. I've got nothing to push it, I've got no bit of paper with anything written on that would be impressive to him, that would qualify me. Just humility, knowing I've got nothing to offer. And it's not just, you know, we talk about you know, coming with our sin, as it were, but actually it's not just, well, there's a few things I'm not very proud of, but I need to come fundamentally believing that I've been going my whole life in the wrong direction and that I need to come and turn and face and follow Jesus. That's the starting point. And Jesus wants us to make this point very clear that this is how we approach God. And so he tells a parable in Luke 18, a short parable about two men coming to the temple to pray. I'll read it to you from verse 9 of Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, pride again, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a 10th of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance he wouldn't even look up to heaven he beat his breast and said god have mercy on me a sinner i tell you says jesus that this man rather than the other went home justified before god for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted you see redemption and righteousness and forgiveness comes to the humble heart it's the entry point for god's kingdom It's also a principle of the kingdom. Once you're in, it's part and parcel of what it means to live as a believer. In Matthew 23, Jesus is, again, speaking to a group of Pharisees, the religious elite, the status seekers. They love to project their religiousness so everyone would see how good they were. And he's speaking to them. And he says this in Matthew 23, verse 12. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's one of those lines we probably have heard before, and yet it's Jesus himself saying it. He's warning people who are seeking seeking celebrity status, who are seeking uh, to elevate themselves falsely in front of God's people. God is opposed to you, he says. And he's speaking, of course, to those Pharisees, those who loved their status in society. He's making a wider point about teachers reveling in their position, but the principle is very, very clear. And thirdly, it's taught throughout the New Testament that humility is the way it is to be in God's kingdom. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, he's talking about life together, and he says this in Ephesians 4 verse 1, uh, he's writing from prison. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Of peace. This one of the many instructions to the churches, and to individuals too. And he's in the strongest possible terms saying this: I urge you. I urge you to be humble. I urge you to be humble. Don't project those facades in God's kingdom. Now allow people to see the faults and failings. It makes you much more approachable, just like Jesus was. Approachable, open, honest, not separate from the people, but with the people. And that's how it's to be. I urge you, says Paul, to be humble. And that's how it is to be. So we see there's no place for the celebrity. There's no place for it, because there's no place for pride in God's kingdom. Uh, Of course, there are gifted people, and we'll talk about how you cope if you are actually very gifted yourself next week. But for now, we're just gonna focus here on the humility that's required to be part of God's kingdom. So what about the encouragement then? Where does that come from? Well, the encouragement is this. You don't have to be a superstar. A hugely gifted and confident natural leader to qualify to have a part to play in God's kingdom. You don't have to have the brain, a brain the size of a planet or the gifting of a great orator in order to participate. No, God can use anyone and delights to use everyone. You need Jesus. All you need is Jesus. So Actually, boasting isn't wrong. Paul, it seems, is actually happy to boast about two things. He's happy to boast about his own weakness uh, and he's happy to boast about Jesus and the gospel. So it's not as if there's, there's no room for boasting, well, there is, but he boasts. He says, I'll boast about my weaknesses. Why? Because it will emphasize God's goodness and power and glory. And that was the whole point of this 1 Corinthians passage, really, saying you get so caught up with the individual, with the gifting, with the with with the facade, that you're missing the kernel of the gospel, that God has saved you from wretchedness, from separateness. He's drawn you close. He's given you everything you need. You had nothing to offer, and he has made you a son and a daughter, a princess and a prince. This is what he's done. Get excited about that. Don't get all caught up with the with, with, with the individual, with the character, with the celebrity. Humility, by the way, isn't weakness. It's the mastery of strength. A horse is broken in um, is, is, the, is, is the kind of use of an Im- immense strength at the behest of its master. And so to be humble isn't to be weak. It's not, it's not, it's not a weakness that we're looking for Actually, it's just the mastery of the strength that God is giving. God is willing, passionately willing to give amazing gifts to those who will embrace this humility. In fact, it's a requirement as we've said. But let's just take a minute here to look at some of the Bible's high achievers, as it were, those God chose to uh, take his kingdom forward throughout the ages. We'll just do a few and then we'll pray. Moses. Well, everyone knows about Moses, of course, the great leader who freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, confronted Pharaoh, raised his staff to part the waters. Now, his initial response when God called him was this, please choose somebody else. In fact, in, in Exodus 4, we read this. Um, so God is approaching Moses and asking him to, or telling him to go and confront Pharaoh and, and get the people Released from Egypt. And this is how it, this is how we read in Exodus 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Some think maybe he had a, a stammer or some sort of speech impediment. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Moses responds, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) This is this great leader. This is how he began. That's how he was when God called him. Scroll forward to Judges 6 and we find Gideon. Gideon is called to be a great military leader, to lead an army against this invading force. The Midianites were attacking and destroying crops and causing havoc in Israel. God calls Gideon in Judges 6 and we read this, "'Pardon me, my Lord,' Gideon replied, "'How can I save Israel? "'My clan is the weakest in Manasseh "'and I'm the least in my family. "'I'm nobody. "'I'm not important,' says Gideon in Judges chapter six. And we might just say, well, isn't that just sort of a standard kind of humble response? Well, it it may be, but when God actually called Gideon, he was hiding in a wine press and threshing corn. Neither, none of that makes any sense. This, This is not a natural leader. This is not a brave man. He's hiding away. And yet God used him mightily. Even the great King David and David is is maybe Israel's greatest king, and when the prophet Samuel is looking for one of Jesse's sons to anoint as king, he knows, he knows it's going to come from Jesse's family, this new king, and so he goes to visit Jesse, and he says, "Bring me bring me your sons. Let's see what God says about each of them, but David wasn't even considered. He wasn't even brought to uh, to Samuel at all, he was just left in the fields. He was literally an afterthought. And for whatever reason, the great prophet asked to meet his sons. Jesse thought, "He can't possibly be. He can't possibly be David. How can it possibly be him? He's just in the fields. He's just looking after sheep. He wasn't impressive in that way. His father didn't consider him even to be considered by the prophet. And yet he was used by God mightily." When Jesus chooses his disciples, the same principles are at work. Listen to how observers commented on these disciples in Acts chapter four. They saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And there we get both their social positioning, as it were, their natural abilities and also the key to what makes someone great in God's kingdom. They had been with Jesus. They were nobodies who had been with Jesus and the people noticed. They took note, these these ones, they've been with Jesus. You can tell, not because they're great orators, not because they're powerful speakers, but because they have the presence of the Lord with them. They were ordinary yet they humbly followed God's call, and they did extraordinary things. So where did it all come from? Where did it all come from? Well, it came from God himself, and the answer is in verse 30 of the passage we started with. I'll read it to you. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus in your life, the presence of God, the power of God, your willingness to humbly follow God, to obey him, to obey his words, to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, to thrive and be useful in God's kingdom. We allow the word of God to shape us and the spirit of God to lead us. Let me say that again, to be thrive and be useful in God's kingdom, you don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to come with great gifting. You don't need to be a great orator. You don't have to be very intelligent. You don't have to be tall or beautiful or handsome. You don't have to be, all you need is this. You need to allow the word of God to shape you and the spirit of God to lead you. And God can do mighty things with you. And this is through a life of prayer, a life of reliance on God's word, a life of humility in in possessing the gifting that God gives to you. It it, it means grace for others. It, It means I don't need to push myself forward because God, it's about him, it's his kingdom, nothing to do with my position or status and a hunger for God's presence by the Holy Spirit. So you might be listening today thinking, yeah, I've got nothing much to offer. Well, you've just qualified yourself. If that's what you think, you are utterly qualified biblically to be used mightily by God. And maybe today is a day that you begin to humbly acknowledge the truth of that. Because there can be a false humility. No, no, I I couldn't possibly be used by God. And that's how some of these great leaders began. And God persuaded them. Actually, no, you need to respond humbly to my calling. If it really is God asking you to do something, you need to do it. You need to act on it because it's him who enables and him who strengthens for his kingdom, for his purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you can use any one of us. Thank you that your kingdom is not built on celebrity. It's not built on huge gifting and personality and all those things, Lord Jesus, but it's built on you, Jesus. It's built on a humble God who's drawing people into his presence, enabling them and gifting them to work for the good of God, for his glory, and for the blessing of those around. And I pray, Lord Jesus, keep building your church here to be like that, Lord God. And I pray for those of us, Lord, who think, I've got nothing to offer. I just don't think I could do anything for God. I pray that we would listen to your still small voice as you call us to serve and to lead and to love you and love others and see that you'll do great things through each of us.